0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, I'm on a beautiful beach. It's Nane Beach in the southwest of Kerry in Ireland. And uh, this is a really beautiful sandy beach uh, not far off the coast from the Skellig Islands, which is where they filmed Star Wars. It's about eight miles off the coast from here. Uh, you may recall the scenes where Ben Kenobi and Luke are on that sort of a monastery on an island and that's exactly what it is to, I think it was about three or four thousand years ago the monks came out here to this remote part on the west coast of Ireland and they <clears throat> built things like forts and monasteries and they did that even on this island which you would have thought it would be impossible to get out to the Skellig Islands so this beach is interesting as well as. Being a beautiful beach, it's a historical place because Daniel O'Connell has his family seat here, and Daniel O'Connell is known as the Great Liberator in Ireland. He was uh, he lived until 1846, I believe, and he was uh, fighting constantly for uh, against the oppression of the English, who at that time were the the wealthy landowners that pretty much ran. Ireland and didn't allow the Irish people access to education in the same way that the English were, and um, just generally treated them as second-class citizens. And what's what's interesting about that is that um, Frederick Douglass, who was a great anti-slavery campaigner in the U.S., a black freed sla- well, he wasn't a freed slave. I think he escaped actually. Frederick Douglass, and he came over here to Ireland he was advised to leave the country because the pro-slavery brigade in the U.S. were keen on capturing him, killing him, or reenslaving him because that he was a great representative of the cause for anti-slavery. And he was a very eloquent orator and he was writing books and just generally making the case against slavery so he was his life was in danger so he came over here and in fact he met with daniel o'connell who was the great liberator and he managed to meet with him at one of daniel o'connell's speeches and then daniel o'connell according to legend took him round on on a speaking tour of ireland and he made sure to uh, emphasize the kinship between the irish and the who were fighting against the english at that time and the blacks in America who are fighting against slave owners. Um, So it's quite an interesting dynamic, a black American here in Ireland. And, of course, the Irish here at that time had never seen a black person before. So they treated him with the utmost respect, uh, something which he probably would not have been accorded back in the U.S. And I think that really struck a chord with him, that white people could be also facing tyranny and oppression in the same way. So anyway, fascinating story about uh, a black American freed uh, slave who came over to here to Ireland and, and, and had that kind of kinship with the, the locals here who were also rebels in their, in their own way. Anyway, today we've got a really fascinating podcast with uh, Juliana Wright. And Juliana has a degree from Oxford University in Fine Art but she's actually done loads of different things in her life. But what's really fascinating for the purposes of this podcast anyway, is her experience with plant medicines. And in particular, peyote, San Pedro, ayahuasca, and then iboga. And that's iboga is the one that she has particular expertise in. She's developed a number of I think one in particular very important protocol for the usage and the healing aspects of Iboga. I thought she would be called a shaman, but she corrected me and she doesn't call herself a shaman. Uh, But she's certainly very experienced and expert at using these kind of natural plant medicines for healing and for human development. So it's a really fascinating podcast. We're very lucky to have her taking the time to speak with us. And so without further ado, please welcome Juliana Wright.
1: Recorded
2: live.
0: I know um you've been busy and you've been in away and out of the country and it's very you know, we're really happy that you can join us. So thank you so much.
2: It's, yeah. It's just for me, it's just such a privilege to work with this medicine.
0: And w- may I ask what what sort of uh, obviously, as we go, if there's anything that you don't want to talk about, and there are obvious reasons why you can't talk about certain things, obviously, I know you're going to be happy to go ahead and tell me that, that you don't want to talk about those things. Um, but can I ask what sort of medicines you, you actually work with?
2: At the moment, I've refined it down to uh, Cambo and Iboga. Okay. Um, which, do you know about Iboga?
0: I know about Iboga. The The main thing I know about Iboga is based on the, there was a great TV program called Tribe with Bruce Parry. I don't know if you ever watched it. But wonderful. yeah, it was, it was a wonderful program. And I, I, I've heard, I actually listened to something with Bruce Parry recently, so I know he's still around, but whether he's, and I know he's made a film with some indigenous peoples, which I, I haven't gotten around to watching yet. But anyway, um, yeah. there was a great passage in that. And that was the first time I'd heard about Iboga. Yes. And um, it was, it looked very traumatic sort of purging um, process, and, but he came out of it transformed, I think.
2: Yeah, uh, the, the, the thing is that Western medicine has lost the um, therapeutic value of purging. Purgatives used to be a common um, uh, part of a doctor's um, arsenal, if you like, Ipecac, uh, which is now a homeopathic remedy, was a purgative, and th- there must have been others as well. It's just that as soon as big pharma comes in, all they want to do is suppress um, and not really allow the body to heal itself. And, and purging is a fundamental um, therapeutic um, practice. Hmm.
0: Well, I guess yeah. I mean, not not n- knowing really much about it at all, but the most one of the most basic bodily instincts is uh, you know when you've had something that's that's not good for you, you vomit it, and it's a, you know it's an automatic purging, isn't it? So it's obviously something, and not just humans; it's it's every creature, isn't it? So yeah,
2: yeah. so and, there's a lot, a lot of common sense has gone out the window, unfortunately.
0: And just to give some context now for people who are listening who don't. Um, perhaps understand why and how you use th- use these medicines. How would you describe your work? How would you describe your work? I, just, I was perhaps totally incorrectly co- calling you a shaman, and you said, "No, that's not correct."
2: No, no. I, I shy away from that. I'm I'm, I'm absolutely categorically not a shaman. Um, I suppose you could call me a medicine woman, in that I work with this particular medicine, I have worked with other medicines, and we're talking here about um, entheogens, Mm -hmm. Um, so we're talking peyote, San Pedro, um, ayahuasca, um, and now iboga, Mm -hmm. Um, and they've been used by the indigenous people for forever. For centuries as as a way of deepening their connection with their environment and with with spirit or god or source or creativity creation whatever whatever you want to call that you know however i mean there's many many words for the one state uh, that most of us are sadly disconnected from and these medicines are a bridge or an accelerator or whatever, an experience of, of reconnection.
0: Hmm. Yes, because it, it certainly seems, I, I was reading um, a few books in preparation to, to speak to you. One was Breaking, Breaking Open the Head, Daniel Pinchbeck. Yes. And then there was the Michael Pollan book, which I'm reading at the moment, How to Change Your Mind. But it's interesting to read up on the history, As uh, coming back to what you just said about the many thousands of years ago, particularly in Mexico and perhaps all in many different parts of the world, they were using these very commonly as part of the, the religion. And then it kind of it was suppressed, particularly in this case of Mexico, the Spanish came and yeah. they were completely terrified by this coming from a sort of Catholic Christian background. And they I believe they killed a lot of the um, practitioners and they suppressed it quite uh, quite heavily as you can imagine as they did with everything else yes. uh, ultimately yeah.
1: yes.
0: so, it, it, so it's it's fascinating that now it's making a research and people like yourself are um bringing it back to people who it seems like a world that's in desperate need of of this kind of um healing
2: yeah well uh you know um i had a very intense period of um connecting to the psychedelic medicines. And um, but what came through to me loud and clear was that both ayahuasca, which I think people probably will have heard more of than Iboga, um, both ayahuasca and iboga have been waiting in the wings for Aeons for this particular time so that they can come and help humanity in its in its need and it's really rather desperate need wow. at this time mm. and um you know that sort of had the ring of truth mm-hmm. to me when i when i received that or heard it or or whatever i thought mm, mm. interesting
0: and did you was that how you first sort of came into being a guide or coming came into doing the the role that you're sort of playing now is that was it a long time ago that you were first introduced to these medicines?
2: I had a, I was was—I suppose you could call it a reintroduction. I've no idea if I've done it before in other lifetimes, but um, it was a very intensive period that started in 2010 with ayahuasca. Um, I had met ayahuasca about 15 years previously in Costa Rica um and and had an experience it wasn't particularly profound. and I went away from Costa Rica, not giving it very much thought mm. or 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 attention. And fifteen years later, um, I reconnected to these medicines. In two thousand and ten, there was a lot of ayahuasca being drunk in this country. I think there probably still is, but it's all gone very underground. It was underground, but you know, once you were in the uh, field, uh, it was very easy to find um, ceremonies going on most weekends. And so I had a very, I was fortunate that I had the time and the finances to be able to um, have a very intense period. Of um, reconnection with this medicine, and it was during um, an ayahuasca ceremony, uh, some months in, that um, I heard about iboga, particularly to do with addictions. And I was with a friend who did have addiction, addictive problems, and um, we sort of decided that then we would, we would then move on to Iboga Mm -hmm. and um, I really went to keep him company you know as a as a a companion as a medicine companion.
0: And this was in Costa Rica?
2: No this was in England. Okay. In 2010 yeah.
0: And you because you mentioned before there was a lot of ayahuasca in 2010 in this country you mean in the UK?
2: Yes.
0: Okay all right um fascinating so because it wasn't
2: quite as underground as it is now I mean, it's quite difficult to, uh, I mean, I, I personally, I, I gave up my ayahuasca service maybe two or three years ago to concentrate on um, Iboga. Um, but it's difficult to find ayahuasca ceremonies, they really are underground now, I'm sure they're still going on, in fact I know they're still going on, um, but it's all very hush-hush. Hmm.
0: And can you tell us about that first experience that you had in 2010 and how that transpired in terms of what actually happened? Did you go, because Costa Rica, anyone who I'd love to go to Costa Rica, this fantastic um, sort of idea of lush jungle and jaguar perhaps and uh, beautiful bird life. Um, Was that part of the process? Were you going in and meeting with indigenous peoples who then performed a ceremony or how did that, Process happened.
1: How did the well, experience it, it, transpire? It, it,
2: the back end of a um, a month um, of um, I suppose encounter group therapy, stroke, middle class entertainment um, that was very prevalent at that time, and um, it was sort of like the carrot um, dangling at the end of a month, workshop type thing, um, and um, I think when it was offered, not very many people had heard of ayahuasca um, in the West. It was really right at the beginning, that would have been the late 90s, and um, yeah, mm. so I, I didn't really take too much notice of it as I said um, it was just what happened at the end I didn't have any profound realisations I can't say I no it was just yeah um, and so it it all sort of dropped away for 15 years but the main reconnection came in 2010 when, when a friend of mine said he'd just been on this weekend and i I'd I've got to come. And I said, oh, yeah, what is it? He said, oh, it's ayahuasca. And I said, uh, uh. And um, I, I was full of resistance, interestingly enough. Uh, but I knew I had to go. Mm. Um, I, there was just something impelling me to go. And so I went and... um yeah, I mean, my first experience was, I think, what most people have when they first drink, um, and it was a large group of people, twenty-five people, uh, a very competent man, a shaman, uh, running running the show. Uh, clearly, I'm not going to give any names or any places, um, and um, that was really the beginning of. Uh, it started in. February, March, and it went right through that year, uh, right through to uh, the culmination of that year was then uh, the aboga ceremony. Mm. Um, but the ayahuasca then led to um, San Pedro, Washuma, and peyote, mm. and Cambo. Cambo is not a plant medicine, it's um, application of the venom of a frog from the Amazon. It, wow. it, it's very linked to ayahuasca. Is uh, it the same
0: as the toad um, DMT?
2: Um... No, no. It's very different from the toad. There's, it, there's no, um, there's no DMT. It's not. It's not psycho. It's not psychedelic. Um, it's just a, a complete immune system restore with lots of purging. I mean, the purge is the. Uh, defining feature when you go to Cambo. Um, it's just an extraordinary medicine. It's very intense for a short period of time, but it's incredibly cleansing on so many levels. It's, it's I mean, it's everywhere now. It, you know, you, it, um, yeah. And
0: so how did that, how did that then work for your friend who was, I think you mentioned, perhaps I misheard, but I think you mentioned he had a substance abuse uh, mm-hmm.
2: Uh, uh no he didn't have a substance abuse okay. um he had a sex addiction
0: okay mm-hmm.
2: and uh he also was a smoker and um used um weed and yeah generally generally very reliant on substances mm-hmm. uh, which he uh, was endeavoring to clear um Okay so, yeah, so that that was why uh, we th- we thought or we felt that uh, going to do the aboga might might be able might might help him
0: and how did that work was it effective
2: um i think it created a window um but i couldn't say. I don't know really, because uh, we didn't really talk about it afterwards. I don't know how much it helped. Um, he he has since given up smoking and um, uh, um, smoking weed, um, but whether that was directly attributable to the medicines, I'm sure it contributed. Um, you know, they're not a magic bullet um for some people it can be a one-off you just take it once and the the problem is dealt with but for others it's not Mm -hmm. you get the thing about these medicines is you just cannot make any kind of predictions
0: absolutely yeah no this is i i suppose that's that must be the very difficult aspect for for yourself, because I, you would would you would I be right in thinking that you're helping people to take the likes of iboga or these these other medicines, and then you're kind of watching out and being the sort of comfortable um, safety net for them? Would that be correct? To some
2: extent, um, I would describe myself more as making this medicine available to people. Uh, the the people who come to me um, are on a, a psycho spiritual journey. And uh, they've come to the point where they are so tired of the nonsense in their head, the thinker, mm-hmm. and they're so tired of not being able to quite get a handle on what it is that's making them so unhappy and they've heard that Iboga is very helpful in these uh, situations, um, and so they they find me, and um, we then uh, have a look at. Um, how best to prepare them to meet this medicine and I think I am as far as I know the only person who has a mandatory uh, two months preparation period before they take this medicine. Mm-hmm. Again when I first decided uh, that I wanted to serve this medicine it came through loud and clear that preparation is everything. Mm-hmm. So it's taken me um, six years to refine my protocols, um, and I'm sure they will still be refined um, as more and more uh, people um, come to take this um, extraordinary uh, medicine to help them find peace. Yeah, and, and, and bodies that- and find peace.
0: I I suppose that's the goal for, for people just to, um, I know some people seek uh, resolution for those that kind of difficulty through meditation and that obviously you've got the, that brain chatter that people are desperate to silence. And especially with all the technology, as we've alluded to earlier in the conversation, there's all this modern, the stresses of modern life mean that that sort of, monkey brain is going into overdrive and for some people it just is too it's overwhelming and it drives them over the over the edge so so it's inter- i know that meditation is used to sort of quiet that and it's a very long process to do that although it is very rewarding Yes. does this sound like a kind of is it would, would you say this is a similar sort of tactic or perhaps a shorter route to the same result as meditation um.
2: The most the thing about this medicine is that it's it's um, it's a psychological death. Uh, so uh, what happens is that most people go into what the Tibetans call the bardo state, which is like a lifetime review, and um, it, it's uh, it takes takes place over a weekend. Uh, you start on Friday night, and you're really on your back. Um, in this Bardo state for 36 hours. Wow. Uh, and during that during this state um, You are shown um, Where your problems arose uh, Generally you're shown that you are the creator of these problems in some way or your life experience has led and there's it the most amazing thing about it is there's no judgment it's like you're meeting yourself, and yourself is showing you, oh, look, uh, this this was this happened because of so and so, and and uh, oh and can you see this? and uh, of course you're a narcissist, so that's got to stop. Uh, it's complete honesty, it's complete, non-judgmental. It's love, really, in its purest form. Uh, you know we call it tough love. but somehow or other, um i think the um the quality of what is received enables the person to wake up to their own nonsense
1: hmm.
2: you know and very often the feedback after ceremony is my god i had no idea there was so much rubbish in my head because what this medicine does it it um as daniel pinchbeck Uh, coined this wonderful phrase, uh, breaking open the head, Um, it does, it literally flushes out everything in the head and what you're left with is silence. Now, for most people, they have never ever experienced this silence consciously before in their lives. Um, I'm sure we had it as babies, but then we were not um, self-conscious as babies. Uh, so it's it is a return to this beautiful pristine state. Now it really depends on um, where that person is in their evolution in their life, whether they can maintain that state
1: mm.
2: or not. Um, and part of the purpose of this preparation is to to give them the tools and the protocols that they can use post-ceremony to maintain and cultivate this state, because they now have the gnosis of it, the direct experience of it, whereas before maybe they didn't. But they've had 36 hours in this state, and so it's much easier for them to reconnect with it. Hmm. Well, it
0: is, Yeah. sorry, go on.
2: Yeah, whenever they can, and uh, you know, it's not possible to be in this state all the time because we live in the world, and the world is there to distract us from this state. This state is our natural being, as our natural um, way of being, and the world is there to distract us from it. Um, but when you've had your um, experience with this medicine, uh, you can clock the bullshit of the world much more easily and not get sucked into it. Well, mean- yes,
0: it's. It seems like um, based on what I've, what I understand of it, that there's almost a t- double-edged or a d- or double-sided argument to it. It's either um, that the we've kind of as you just said we kind of live in a world that's very there's a lot of human architecture that's been in mental architecture that's built up over millennia and we're kind of trapped in those um grid lines and it's very difficult for us especially as adults and as we grow older to and our imagination kind of um weakens and the 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 rules of society whatever they are and they seem to be changing more and more every year these days trap us in more and more, um, this, this sort of medicine helps to remove all those barriers so that we can experience the world as a, as a baby might or as, a, as we sh- should do. Um, so that's one angle. And then I guess the other side is the sort of mystical aspect whereby it's almost that we are accessing a completely different deme- dimension through these medicines. Um, What's your feeling on that? Have you had any mystical experiences or any clairvoyant experiences? And I, because I know a lot of people come back and as you said, it's a 36 hour experience, but people feel like when they come back, they say, no, that was not a dream. That was realer than reality. That was, and I haven't forgotten it. I, it stays with me months, years later and still affects the way I live my life. Definitely. So,
2: yeah, this is, this is a lifetime, you know, that's why I, what I offer is an initiation. This is an initiation into the rest of your life. And um, in my experience, Iboga is quietly present uh, since my um, epiphany. I had an epiphany on Iboga. Um, since my epiphany, um, and it, it, by serving this medicine, it is an incredibly strong, supportive, quiet uh, presence um, in my life um, and in my in my way of being, and it is so for many, many people who come um, and um, take this medicine. Yeah.
0: I'm- and can you, t- would you, perhaps you, want, you don't want to, but would you be able to talk to us about that epiphany that you had?
2: Yes, certainly. Um, I think I was very fortunate in that I came to Iboga quite late in my life, and I'd done a lot of work on myself before I ever got to the medicines, so that when I came to the medicines, there was nothing really I wanted from them. I'd realized love, I was living free of unhappiness uninterruptedly, and um, so when I came to these medicines, uh, there's, always an, there's always an intention when you sit in circle, you, you ask the medicine what you're here for, what you've come for, and what you would like the medicine to help you with. Well, there was nothing of that for me because I, I was in paradise already. And so uh, as far as I was concerned, my life couldn't be improved upon. So all I had left to do was just surrender. So I surrendered. I surrendered to ayahuasca and she wiped the floor with me. Absolutely wiped the floor with me. I think I can probably remember two ayahuasca ceremonies that were pleasant. Hmm. The rest was just hard work. Lots of purging. And I didn't know what was going on at the time. And I didn't really need to question it. I just knew something was going on. And I knew this medicine was very mysterious. And so I just trusted the process because I um, was impelled to take it for that period. Um,
0: sorry, sorry to interrupt. This was this one Iboga experience do, you, that
1: you're talking about this now. Was,
2: this was the ayahuasca experiences which led to the Iboga.
1: Uh, okay, understand yeah.
2: you. gotcha. So when I got to the iboga, sort of nine months later, uh, from this intensive ayahuasca experience, I was expecting iboga to do the same. I had no other experience, and so um, again, I didn't have any um, anything I wanted from it. I just uh, I just surrendered and said, "Do whatever needs to be done." and um, contrary to my expectations, I had the most beautiful time on Iboga. I didn't purge, and um, it took me deep into my body, and I had this wonderful oceanic experience, if you like, for 36 hours. I, I was in, um, I think, what, what's it called? The um, Alan Watts calls it the Pleroma which is a sort of womb-like state. I think it must be how we experience being in the womb. It had that oceanic, blissful um, quality to it, Uh, where I was totally present, totally present, um, but in bliss. Wow. Um, And then there was a bit of work um, in that at one point, I suddenly realised that... um, I was like, it was like I was watching a computer screen and these files were coming round and I realised, hang on a minute, that came round before and something impelled me to put it in the trash. Oh, I don't want that. So there was a trash, there was a trash bucket, you know, there was a screen in the trash. And I spent a long time with the aboga just trashing. These repeated thought forms, habit patterns—I don't know what they were. I didn't need to know. I just knew. I just knew they had to go, right? Amazing. Yeah, amazing. And this is actually quite a common experience with people on on the wood. We call it affectionately the wood. Um, it's quite a common experience because it's clearing. The brain is, after all, a computer. The computer comes out of the brain. It's the computer is an externalization of our brain. So what the wood is doing is trashing all, it's, do, it's doing a refrag really, it's is, is doing a deep clean of, of, the, um, of the motherboard or the workings of whatever it is inside um, our heads. And um, this went on for ages. And so when I came through that experience, I realized without a shadow of a doubt what had been a concept, what had just been conceptual before, you know, we parrot it, it's all good. We parrot it, yep, yeah, we're told it's all good, yes, it's all good, good is, God is good, it's all good, right? And But what happened for me afterward? I was in this state where I knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that everything was just as it should be. There was nothing to fix, everything was just in its place. And you know, that is a breakthrough, that is an epiphany, to know that without any shadow of a doubt as my own experience, and, and then very shortly after that, I realized that what the wood have done was taken me through the mirror of existence, so that I was no longer in the mirror. I was outside the mirror looking into existence from a position um, of of independence, if you like. And it separated me, it separated my intelligence, or whatever it is that's out of existence, that is looking in through this body, this amazing piece of equipment, looking at itself Mm. in existence. And uh, so... That was that was quite an extraordinary epiphany for me. It was like the cherry, the cherry on the cake. You know, of uh, all the work that I had done in getting myself free of my unhappiness, I'd done a lot. I'd done a. I'd stopped thinking um, over a decade before I got to the got to the medicine. So I knew all about not thinking. Um, uh, but to have been uh, taken out of the mirror uh, which meant that nothing in existence had any attraction for me anymore i could just see it for what it was which is basically the reflection of my own ignorance and uh, this is its purpose it's uh, the world particularly is is there to show me my own ignorance and what that sort of reminded me of was that saying that the sages down the ages have all repeated to be in the world, but not of the world. And that was the place I found myself in. And so from this place, this huge debt of gratitude and love for this medicine, I thought, right, well, from this place, I would like to serve this medicine. And that is what I do. And it has guided me. I've been doing it for eight years now. It has guided me um, to the place where I now am, where I have these uh, really strong protocols in place and this two-month mandatory preparation that people um, have to take before they um, come to ceremony.
0: Wow, well, that's a really... Beautiful um, description of the the process that you went through. So thanks, thanks for that. That's, that's fascinating, um, and I suppose that was very fortunate. And obviously, you've done a lot of work beforehand, as you mentioned, to get to that peaceful place. Um, so perhaps that reset process, or for lack of a better way of describing it, um, led you to that that. Uh, Fantastic outcome. Whereas for other people, they've got more issues to work through or more trouble in their life because yeah. they hadn't done that preemptory um, process that you'd done, and and perhaps that is well is why you have that long protocol as well.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, I think uh, what makes a difference uh, to people coming to this medicine is age, actually. Uh, because what was I? I was um, I was in my mid-60s, I suppose, when I took this medicine. And I've noticed that people who are older, um, they seem to get a lot out of it. Uh, it's not to say they don't have a deeper experience, but it's more nuanced. It is deeper in a way because of their life experience. So... Uh, um, an aboga experience for a 25-year-old is not the same as it is for a 55-year-old. And don't forget, the people that come to me are already pretty spiritually aware. Mm-hmm. You know, they have done a lot of work. They are aware. Uh, they're, they're they're quite awake um, already. So uh, the the wood uh, works with this and gives them. Um, what I offer is the profoundest experience that an individual is able to have, um, at this particular time mm. and everybody is unique. Um, so each person's profundity is, um, unique to them.
0: So it sounds like it's, Um, it maybe even makes more sense for someone to do this later in life rather than earlier because they've got those life lessons in place which they can then reflect on during the process.
2: I I think so. I think so. My observation is although I have seen some extraordinary um, epiphanies uh, for much younger people and that's not to say that people um, you know who who is to say when an epiphany is coming it's not it's nothing to do with me or you or the person it's to do with grace Mm. that 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 mysterious Mm. ineffable thing we call grace which is to Mm. me divine um yeah
0: and did 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 you have did you have quite established sort of religious beliefs beforehand, or were you traditional? Relig- Did you come from a traditionally religious background, or was this something that you picked up or transformed over your experiences, uh, the experiences that you had?
2: Um, well, I had a very eclectic life prior to the medicines. Um, I'd done all sorts of different things, um, which looking back on it now, um, clearly prepared me for what I am doing now, um, but I suppose the greatest um, breakthrough for me, uh, again, I got to when I was in my early fifties was coming across an Australian uh, spiritual master called Barry Long, and he his teaching prepared me for my epiphany on the wood that without any without any question um at all there um so yeah so through barry long i was able to um get the deepest realization i think that this medicine is able to uh provide i mean it just it just um uh, makes me see how profound this medicine is um you know if it can do what it did to me then it can do it can work miracles for anybody
0: and would you say that it sh- should be for anybody do you, would you say that people it's particularly should be used for people with um, as we discussed you know personal I- issues of various types whether they be addiction uh, or other or depression or do you think it should do you think people who uh, don't necessarily suffer terribly from those issues should use it as a De- developmental um, process in their lives?
2: Um, I think a lot of people are using it. Uh, um, a lot of people are microdosing with the wood. Um, I think a lot of people are uh, finding that the microdosing gives them this spaciousness in this piece. Um, but, um, you know, there's no escaping the work. And Um, people who come to me have usually done a lot of work Mm -hmm. Uh, they've taken responsibility the the, the clue is taking responsibility for your life Um, and I'm only I only work with people who are prepared to take responsibility for themselves and for their life and this is where this this medicine is a marvellous awesome tool really
0: Yeah, I think we seem to continue to touch on that, that you've got to um, have done work on yourself before you try this very, very powerful medicine. Um, So that seems to be the the recurring sort of theme. And that's why you obviously have your protocols in place, which seems to make 100% sense based on on what I understand of it. I know we had some. I'm just trying to come back to the to the questions. We we talked about so many amazing things and going off on tangents, so, which is great. Um, but I just I'm aware that we had that I had a sort of plan of questions. so I'm just coming back to that a little, little bit here. Um, so we've decided that. So you so you mentioned you don't think necessarily everyone should try them, but it's, if 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 people have done work on themselves and feel that they're <clears throat> responsible enough as it is an extremely powerful <clears throat> medicine then perhaps it's 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 worth uh worth trying but it's not something that you would dabble in it's something that you have to make a big decision about as it could be lo- very life changing
2: uh oh what are uh, the, the the weekend well the voga uh, yeah the weekend yes microdosing yeah. is fine but yeah. but to do to do a reset uh, as you say i, I think um it needs needs some some consideration, some looking at. Mm. But you know, not everybody is ready to meet the wood. Mm. And um, I have a very um, simple but profound protocol for checking everything uh, for all my diagnostics. And that is the body check, which is the basis of kinesiology and dowsing and all divinations. So um, it's a little um, protocol where you ask your body a yes or a no and the first question we ask when anybody comes to me they ask their body body would you like to take the wood and um if if the body says no then i don't override that
0: yes well that's that seems to make sense yeah um well i had a dowser on the podcast very interesting gentleman called john baker and it's really uh, a very powerful tool obviously so we're using the dowser. you don't use the do you use um, uh, a chain to do it, or you, it's just literally a question.
2: I just I I go straight to source. Mm. Yeah. So I I get people to uh, just talk to their body. They just say out loud, "Hello, body, can you give me a yes?" And the body will will um, either move backwards or forwards for yes,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or it will. And then you ask for a no. What what is based on? And it will either use back. Some people go sideways. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it, you, you just don't know until you've asked your body what the yes-no response is. Once you've got that positive-negative response, you can ask the body anything, providing you keep the question simple. It's got to be a yes-no question.
0: Yeah, well, this is exactly what John Baker, was. Uh, who is a very good, uh, very well-established uh, who was saying exactly in line with what you were saying. Um, in terms of the process of this Drug or this medicine, do you think it's going to become into mainstream use more? Or do you think, as we spoke about at the beginning of the podcast, the, the big pharma will always seek to sideline these types of treatments?
2: It's hard to know. It's hard to know how it's going to go. I'm watching the current situation with great interest. I think what um, has got to change is uh, the scientific model interesting as it is, and um, relying on the scientific model, or listening to the scientific model, and on the other hand listening to the shamanic model. I think somewhere between the two, the middle line, is where the use of psychedelics is, and Iboga for now is labeled a psychedelic, but although it's not really a psychedelic, it's more a remogenic, which is a dream state, Mm-hmm. Um, which is what they call lucid dreaming, which I think is a uh, I think we need to find a new phrase for it because it's nothing, it's not dreaming. Mm-hmm. To me, is nothing, there's n- it's not a dream, it's more real than this waking life, as you actually mentioned earlier on in our conversation. Mm-hmm. But anyway, a burger is not really a psychedelic, although it is it is put into the psychedelic bag at the moment. Um I think. My sense is that somewhere between these two polarities, uh, the psychedelics are going to carve a new um, uh, modality for themselves. The thing is, at the moment, um, the research current search is, is psychedelic psychedelic assisted therapy. Well, you know, once you get into psychedelics and start using your body, you won't need a you you don't need psychotherapy. You are are your own physician, you are your own healer, you are your own guru, because you're listening to your body and your body will tell you. I don't need anybody outside my body to tell me what my body needs. So I'm watching with interest at the moment, that the the psychedelics have hitched themselves to uh, the scientific horse, And I think that's the way forward for now. But at some point, i have a sense that a new something new is going to come out of this because the science there's no truth in science absolutely no truth at all um and um the moment science science will the breakthrough in science will come when all research is subjective rather than objective
0: well i yeah So I suppose, particularly with this field, it's incredible, well, it's absolutely essential to have people like yourself involved uh, in the process, because I I could imagine that as we've got this terrible issue uh, in the US anyway, and all around the world with opioids and um, the idea of capitalism behind big pharma which then generates, um, you know, adverts where they're trying to just sell as much opioids or whatever medicine it is, and there's no, assistance which as we as anyone listening to this will know is absolutely essential for anyone taking this type of medication someone like yourself must be that be be, uh, guiding the process it would be a disaster if they started to just oh right you're not you're not you're depressed or you've got this or that issue here have go to the pharmacy and pick up this and go home and take that you know
1: yeah
0: i don't think that's a by the by the sound obviously you're the expert but that doesn't sound like you could um proceed in that way you'd have to have a mixture of the shamanic stroke um guide world and the scientific aspect of it if it's le- if it bec- becomes legalized or becomes decriminalized or uh or whatever
2: i think for me um in my experience of working with all these medicines for 8 years and i've used the body check for 8 years and um, I have never, ever, and nor has anybody using their body check ever got into any kind of trouble. There's no need for any integration because of the prep, the two months prep. Um, so there's no post um, post ceremony integration needed um, if the preparation has been sound. And I believe that if psychotherapeutic psychotherapeutically assisted psychedelics um has a future um the preparation protocol has got to be put in place
0: and in so the the other so obviously this week we had the big news about um psilocybin being i think it was decriminalized in denver and so there's this march forward um, as I'm sure you're well aware at I think it's at Harvard or some one of some Johns Hopkins in the US some of the big universities are putting a lot of money into this science Uh, I shouldn't call it science Um, this medication and the the, the use of plant medicines and
2: we should call it healing
0: healing yes
2: Um, you know it's it's using psychedelics to uh, heal people of their disconnection, you know, there's only one thing, there's only one problem, and that's disconnection from source.
0: And when you say disconnection from source, you mean disconnection from this, the divine, or whatever we're going to just d- define as this um, otherworldly.
1: Great. Well, I, I
2: think even calling it otherworldly is is a, a, a misuse of words. It's our own inner reality Uh and we've lost it because we're so distracted in the outer, Uh in the world, that we've lost our connection with our bodies. And one of the great, great gifts of Iboga is it takes you into your body. So it's a 180 degree turn from the thinker up here, thoughts. Mm. Um, It clears all that rubbish away and it brings you down into your body it's it's a root so it gets to the root of the problem it roots the the being it's an earther it's a grounder so i get back to the ground of my being and i become an earthling again instead of a worldling
0: and so if you go through the process so the the initial protocol you then go through the reset process or the weekend um the body check, I think, was—is that what, how you describe it as that weekend process? Uh,
2: the body check is what we use to um, establish doses and articles okay. like that. Yes, but, but yeah.
0: Sorry, well, all I was going to ask is, once you've done that once, does that then that last? Does that then last you, or do, for people in terms of that healing process, or do you um, have to come back and administer the the healing process again, or is it?
2: For some people once is enough, Uh, for some people uh, they need to come back uh, maybe once, uh, maybe a year later, maybe two years later, and for some people they need to come back a third time. It really depends on what they have seen um, in their ceremony and what they then can put into practice in their daily daily life. Mm. Um, a lot of people feel that they could go deeper. So they come back a year or two years later and have a completely different experience. Um, so yes, yeah. And for people with addictions, uh, I don't tend not to uh, work with people with severe addictions, um, but with people who are taking responsibility for their lives. Uh, and can see um, that their addictive tendencies are making them miserable Um, it can be uh, you're looking at a course really of three three boga sessions
0: right and and for anyone who's listening who wants to perhaps pursue this further is there any way you would recommend someone who is thinking about trying this this process how they would find a guide or how they should Get and get you know pursue that that end
2: um well, I think if Iboga, if the wood is really calling you, it will lead you in the right direction um it's I know people are going to be curious, and their curiosity is going to lead them um to experience this medicine um and maybe that is a way in. Um, yeah, I think you've okay. just you've just got to find your way through it, as everybody does. It's out there. Um you have to be careful. The medicine itself is sometimes very poor quality. Um, yeah, I've got no I've hmm. got no real
1: yeah so it's all the more
0: it's all the more reason why they should really think about regulating it, or not necessarily regulating perhaps isn't the right word, but um, as they have with, um, in Denver, make it more controlled in some, well, control the quality so that people don't end up with, uh, you know, having a bad experience because they're not actually getting the right type of medication in the right dosage, and perhaps not with the right guide
2: my jury's out around
0: regulation mm. um and um, finally i know we're sorry the time is <laughs> zipped by we've been about an hour, an hour now so i'm aware that uh, i, I want to let you get on with the rest of your day um how do you find your your person in your personal life obviously you've experienced all these different realms be they inside your own um psyche or or otherworldly as you mentioned before it's it's not really otherworldly um how what how does that affect your daily life when you're going to the supermarket or you're going about your daily business um do you find that's always with you
2: um yes i think it I, yes it mm. certainly is i mean i i i have a, a really beautiful life uh i have no problems in it if there are problems at come up or difficulties that come up, I don't make a problem of them. Um I have I live a choiceless, a choiceless life. Um, I just do what I do. I live in paradise. Um, Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Well job job done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well I applaud you. That is that is amazing. I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been really fascinating. And, uh, I hope we can speak again at some point. Uh, it's been amazing. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I've, I've enjoyed it Ben. Thank you very much for, um, yeah, inviting me to do this.
0: Thanks so much to Juliana Wright for that discussion today. That was a really fascinating podcast with Juliana. I really appreciate her taking the time to do that. Thanks so much, everyone. See you next time. Bye.